Well, I tell you what, we're about to enter into teaching portion of the worship service. So um, if you have little ones or they, they are with you right now today, we ask you to make your way to the cafe or the, uh, the family room where you can watch with a live video feed. Um, we don't want anything to distract from the message because uh, I've prepared for you a steak dinner. I prepared for you, and you say, well, pastor, didn't you just go into uh, 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 a teaching on a Wednesday night that you should have a, you should have a plant-based uh, diet, that you should eat, uh, you know, uh, organic, plant-based food? Uh, yeah, that's in the physical. But in the spiritual, you can have all the steak you want. Amen? Uh, in the spiritual, steak doesn't clog, clog your arteries. It just makes you stronger. Amen? And so uh, I want you to be ready to, to receive. Now listen, in the Pena household, we've had a tough time in the past week. And the reason we have had a tough time is because I allowed my family to convince me in, to do something that I had already said I wouldn't do. Come on, how many of you know you should never go back on your gut instinct? When you feel like, you know what, you are free, you're done, and the last dog in the house is about to die, and, and, and you're about to be free. You're about to be free. I mean, I'm counting the days. Zorro is getting older. All, my other two dogs passed away. I, I'm about, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel, and my kids talked me into getting a puppy. Yes. Yes. He's very cute. Until he starts chewing up everything in the house, he's not sleeping, he doesn't pay attention, he's not potty trained, you know, and uh, it's thrown off the whole mood in the home. And, uh, you know, it, it really does require a lot of energy to have a good attitude, especially when you're not sleeping and you wake up tired, and I woke up tired and, and, uh, and, and, my feet hit the floor and I have, this, I have this conviction in my heart to always say what? This is the day that the Lord has made. I shall rejoice and be glad in it. But do you know it's one thing to say it, it's another thing to feel it? See, and saying something that you don't feel doesn't mean a thing. And so I had the choice. I, I, I rolled over out of bed like this and I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there like this. I'm going, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. But my heart was saying, this is a sorry day. That's what my heart was saying. This is a sorry day and it's only going to get worse because I'm tired. So I had to make a decision right then and there to say, mm -mm, this is the day that the Lord has made. I put a big smile on my face. I started getting my shoulders pulled back. I started feeling it. And I said, come on, baby, let's do this. She's like, oh. And so can I tell you something? That's why it's so important for us when you come in here for us to say, how are you feeling? Are you excited? Foundation, are you ready? Because how many of you know that if you don't come in with the right attitude, it doesn't matter how good the feeding is. It doesn't matter how good the word is. It doesn't matter how good the preaching is. You're not going to have it. You're not going to receive it. You're not going to be able to take it in. The truth of the matter is, I grew up hearing some of the best preaching of my generation. 
Growing up as a PK, I listened to my father, who was a terrific and awesome preacher, but not only him, he took me to hear some of the best preaching around as we'd go to convention, as we'd go to seminars, as we'd go to conferences, as we'd go to different events that they were having. And, and I want to tell you something. If I went in with the wrong attitude, it didn't matter how good or anointed it was, I was closed off to it. And so when you come in here with the wrong attitude, it doesn't matter what's being said, you're not receiving it. It's going over, it's falling short, it's bouncing off, it's not penetrating. And that's why it's so important for us to do our part. Because the Lord will not force himself on you. He will not force himself on you and he will not violate one of the greatest things he gave you and that's your free will. He won't violate your free will. And so today I want to talk to you about the right attitude, about him being an influencer, about understanding that, that, that you have everything you need to succeed. You have everything you need. And, and some of you are thinking, well, pastor, what do you mean being an influencer? I guess I can check out because I'm not an influencer. No, you were called and you were born to be a leader for Jesus Christ. You were called and you're ordained to lead people to the kingdom of God, to build the kingdom of God, to be part of an epic thing that God has been doing since he created the world, and that is to save and to seek those that are lost. And you have an opportunity to play a part in that. But the first thing you have to do is change your attitude and start seeing yourself as a leader. You say, but pastor, I don't lead anyone. Do you know every one of us leads someone? We all have someone. See, at the, at the end of the day, the most basic definition for leadership is influence. You say, influence? What do you mean? Well, what is influence? Read with me. Influence is the capacity to impact or the capacity to have an effect on the character development or behavior of someone or something or the effect itself. You say, okay, by that definition, the only people I lead are my children. No. Those are the most important people you lead. They're not the only people you lead. They're the most important people you lead. But you lead also those within your circle of influence. You've heard that term used before. Who's my circle of influence? Your family, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, your acquaintances, anyone that you come in close contact with on a regular basis, you have the opportunity to impact them to have an effect on their character, on their development. The Bible says that influence is had every time we hang out with each other, every time we, we interact with one another. As a matter of fact, this influence can be good or bad. See, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, the Bible says, do not be deceived. In one version, it says, don't be fooled. Don't lie to yourself. Don't get it twisted, somebody else said. You have to understand that evil company corrupts good character. Is that true? I use that verse often, but it's true. And it's one of the most forgotten verses, even though we know it's true, even though we know it's powerful, even though we know that God cannot be mocked, that this will hold true in our lives. We tend to forget it. And so today I want you to realize that who you hang out with is going to affect your attitude. But more importantly, I want to know, are you having an effect with those you're hanging out with? 
are you having an effect with those you're hanging out with? Do you remember when I, when I, I taught on marriage and I said that, that there's studies that show that if you have friends that are going through divorce, you're more likely and more susceptible by over 50% to also experience that same divorce because of their negativity. Do you know if you have a friend of a friend that's going through divorce, you will be affected. I had someone come up after first service after I said that and said, Pastor, you know, that is so true. When I went through our divorce, we had nine couples that, were, that we were really close friends. When one of us started going through divorce, it wasn't long before seven of the nine went through divorce within that same time period. And that's the way the enemy works. But did you know you were called to work for not the enemy, but for God, for his goodness? See, the truth of the matter is that the Bible says this in different terms. Look at the way the Proverbs state it. Whoever walks with wise becomes wise. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. I like the way my mom put it, and you hear me say this often because it's true. I want you to remember it, even as she said it often, so that I would remember it. If you want to soar with, with what, eagles, you cannot run around with turkeys. And she used to tell me that all the time. Son, if you want to soar with the eagles, you can't run with turkeys. And she would point to my friends and say, that's a turkey, that's a turkey, that's a turkey, and that's a turkey. They need to go. See, some of us moms need to get more involved and influence our children. Amen? Some of us dads need to get involved in influencing our children because they're the first people we're called to lead. And the best thing you can do for your children is teach them how to choose good friends. You know, as a matter of fact, I had a very serious conversation with a, with a spiritual son of mine that he's been gone for about nine, ten months. You saw him grow up in this church, and then one Sunday he was just gone. And he said, Pastor, I'm sorry I left. And then he took it back. He said, I'm not sorry I left. I didn't just leave. I ran. I ran because I didn't want to hear it. But I know you're right. And I ask you to forgive me. And I said, son, you're forgiven. And as we started talking, I said to him, son, I need you to forgive me because I wasn't mindful enough and I didn't pay close enough attention to who was influencing you. And he talked about his influences and he talked about how, you know, he thought he was going to be an influence on them and they had a bigger influence on him. I said, the truth is that influence is a, is a two-way street. And you have to be very, very careful that Christ is always your biggest influence. And the enemy will work long and hard to derail that, to subvert it, and to drive a wedge between your connection with Christ. I need you to realize this. I need you to realize it. I also need you to realize that we are called to stir each other up to do good things. Because someone is hanging out with you, because you were involved in someone's life, they should be better for it. You know, in the study that the men are doing on Tuesday night, there was a, a, a minister that said something. He said, every man will have to give an account for the woman and the wife that God has given them. 
And he said, when you stand before God, will you be able to say to the Lord, here is the beautiful wife you gave me, Lord, and I give her back to you more radiant, more beautiful, more complete, more blessed, more more full of joy and peace than the day you gave her to me. Because you gave her to me and I was able to be a husband to her, Lord, she was blessed because I was in her life. Can you say that, men? Is your wife better for having been with you? Because the truth of the matter is, uh, uh, one man said, oh yeah, you can't answer that. Your wife has to answer that. Stan goes, Veronica, say something. But, but no, I mean, I hear what he's saying. He's saying with confidence, yes. Every day I get up to be a blessing to my wife. And that's what we're called to do. Listen to what the Bible says in the book of Hebrews. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works. Not neglecting meeting together. How, is, how, do, you see, how do you read that? He says, don't stop coming together because you need one another. Because you are influencing each other. Don't neglect it as some are in the habit of doing. Some have gotten in the habit of going to church only when they think they need it. By the time you think you need it, it's too late. The enemy already has you by that time. He's on you like a duck on a June bug. You need to fight before that day. Listen, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is what he's saying here. He's saying, look, as, as it gets closer to Jesus' return time, the world is going to get crazier. The world is going to be headed in the wrong direction and it's going to be influencing you and doing everything it can to tear you down. That's why you need each other more the closer it gets, so that you can build each other up. See, we're called to be an influence. We're called to overcome evil. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good, Paul said to the Roman church. But there's no greater verse on influence than that of Jesus Christ when he wrote in the Sermon on the Mount, the similitudes, Chapter 5, verse 13 through 15, through 16, excuse me, he said, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its taste, loses its effectiveness, how shall it be made salty again? How can it be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be what? Thrown out and trampled under people's feet. See, this is what he's saying. He's saying when the, when the Christian church stops being a factor, no one will respect us anymore. And some of us are saying, man, we're getting close. The world doesn't respect Christianity anymore. Why? Because we've watered it down and we're no longer an influence. We have their attitudes. We look like them. We talk like them. We dress like them. We watch what they watch. We listen to what they listen to. We act like they they act. There's no difference. All we do is we claim to be better. And the world is going to what? Disrespected. Jesus said it there. When you lose your saltiness, you're good for nothing except for them to step on you. You want to see what we're called to do? We're called to be a preserver of culture. When the culture is decaying, salt preserves the meat. Listen to this. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, a bushel, or a bowl. 
but they put it on a light st- on a on a light stand and it gives light to the whole house in the same way you are the light that should shine before others before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to God in heaven this is what we're called to do when we act like Jesus called us to act and we make an influence in the world and we shine the light of Jesus Christ where it's so desperately needed. We're like mirrors reflecting this beautiful light that lights up the entire room, that lights up the entire neighborhood, that lights up our entire circle of influence. And people who are going through divorce end up staying together because you were around. People that are struggling in their job end up overcoming because you were around, because you had something positive to say. You know what? The best compliment I've ever heard, I shouldn't say ever heard, but at least in the last month, was given to Arthur and Kim. Someone said to me, Arthur and Kim are something special. They make you better. They say, you can't hang around them and not be better. And everybody's going... Yeah, that's true. If you know these guys, they're always blessing those they're around. That's a beautiful compliment. That's what we should all be. All of us should be that because that's what we're called to do. Listen, the truth of the matter is that reflection is an amazing thing. And the more you face the light, the more you're going to reflect. Do not be conformed, Paul said, to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may be able to prove what is good, acceptable, and perfect to God, the perfect will of God. You may be able to know his perfect will. Now, this is what Paul is saying here. He's saying you're going to have to go against what the world considers kosher, what the world considers ordinary. You're going to have to do it a different way. Isn't that funny how we sang, it's so much better your way, God? Some of us have tried it our way. You know, it's like this little puppy. He keeps wanting to do things his way. He keeps wanting to do things his way. And he doesn't realize how close he is to getting voted off the island. (laughs) I mean, he's already lost at least three of the penas. The good thing is, though, in my household, my word goes, that's the last word in my household. And this last word has actually saved the, pre three, the, the, the three previous dogs. Because my family gets fed up quick. And they've tried to get rid of at least three dogs already. This would be number four. And I always say, you know what? If the Lord didn't get rid of me, uh-oh. And, and this is the thing. Some of you are going, well, you just haven't. I, had, I got told at least by three different people after first service, you haven't had the, the crazy dog I had. We had to get rid of him. Now, I'm not saying that. I'm saying this, that it reminds me that God, our Father, never gets rid of us. I don't care how many toys you chew up. I don't care how many shoes you chew up. I don't care how much you fight and pull and cry and scream and and bark and and pee on the ground and and poop over here where you shouldn't poop and, and, and tear up 
the, the plants and, and do all of those things, God still forgives you. God still loves you. God is still there to be patient with you, to care for you, to, to put up with you and to say over and over and over, you're still my son, you're still my son, you're still my son. Isn't this amazing? You say, well, pastor, where are you going with this? This is where I'm going. I'm going to the point that you need to understand how important you are to God if you're going to be an influence. You need to understand how important you are to God if you're going to be an influence because I've been reading study after study, and I'll show some in a little bit, but one of the biggest problems in university and among young adults is a feeling of insecurity and feeling of inferiority. And that feeling of insecurity and inferiority affects every area of your life. It affects the way you eventually go into marriage. It affects the way you parent. It affects the way all of these things. And today I want to talk to you about overcoming that feeling and letting God rule and reign and do it his way. And that's why I've been sharing about We're called to be an influence. We're called to be an influence. We're called to be an influence. But some of us are saying, well, pastor, I find it very hard to influence somebody else. The reason you're finding it very hard to influence somebody else is because you can't give what you don't have. And if you're not encouraged in your own soul, if you haven't worked through that feeling of insecurity, if you haven't let God tell you who you are in him, if you haven't learned to set your mind on him, if you haven't learned to walk in faith, if the enemy has been running a number on you and all you've done is just sit and take it, then you're going to have a very hard time being an influencer. You're going to have to learn to set a new mindset. And I want us to understand that science is just now catching up with the Bible. Because things have been put in God's word, but we thought that was old school, and we keep waiting for something new to come out, and the new just keeps reinforcing the old. I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. How many of you watched The Bachelor? No, I'm the only crazy one. Okay, in The Bachelor... There's the kid, his name is Colton. His big thing was he was a virgin. And did you know every single girl that was on that show made a big deal that he was a virgin? Made a big deal about it. And I'm sitting here telling my son, the Bible says you should be a virgin when you go into marriage. And this is why. Well, come to find out, I'm listening to some experts in the area of psychology, human behavior, and the brain. And they're saying that when a husband and a wife come together, or a man and a female come together, there are are hormones that are released that are called bonding hormones. And they bond you together. And so when you enter in prematurely, what ends up happening is you can end up bonding with the wrong person. Because it shuts you off to other options. And let's say you figure out it's the wrong person and you split apart. Then you've gone through a tremendous pain 
And you want to bond immediately with somebody else to ease that, ease that pain. And so when you bond with somebody else and you bond with somebody else and you bond with somebody else and somebody else, let's say you have five, six, seven, eight, 10, 20 partners, you have bonded and broken that bond over and over and over. You are actually breaking yourself. So that when the one that God does have for you comes in, you don't know how to bond. You say, well, what has to happen? You have to renew your mind. Eh, but that's old school. That's gospel spiritual truth. I truly believe that we have set bad patterns in our minds that keep us from walking in faith. Why? Because we allow the enemy to speak his his fear over us. We allow the enemy to tell us that we should be insecure. We allow the enemy to tell us all sorts of things about who we, who he says we are instead of letting God tell us who we are. Now, let me put it to you this way. Watch this. I, I'm, I'm running short of time, so I need you to understand the importance of taking control of your mindset. Finally, brothers, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, pure, lovely, Good, virtuous, praiseworthy. Meditate on these things. Listen to what the Bible is saying there. You got to dig in there and you've got to set your mind on it. Even when your mind wants to wander, put it on those things and meditate. How do you meditate? Well, pastor, I've seen it. Uh, you, you cross your legs and, and you kind of put your hands in this position and you hum. Hmm. Forget all that nonsense. You open up your word, you put it in front of you, you write it down over and over. Every morning, get up, write this verse, put it in front of you where you can see it, and then ask yourself, what is lovely? What is pure? What is praiseworthy? What is admirable? What is it that my mind should be on? And when the enemy tries to take you off in left field, you come back to it, and you come back to it, and come back to it, because what you're doing is you're training your mind. You're training yourself to look at things from a positive standpoint, from a good standpoint, from God's vantage point, including yourself, your children, your family. You say, okay, uh, can I learn this? Look at the very next verse. The things which you learned. You can learn this. This is a learned skill. Do you know what else is a learned skill? The opposite of this. Some of us have put our minds on worry. I don't know if you know this, but my, my mother, I, I went to see her on Monday and she is struggling. And I ask you to pray for her because this, this was very difficult for me to see my mom hurting and struggling through Parkinson's. And I asked her, it's a neurological disease. And I asked her and I said, uh, I said, mama, how you doing? Are you what are you learning about the disease? How can you get better? And you know what she said to me? She said some of the top experts are Christians and they've said that gratitude and joy are the greatest things you can do. It's funny how the Bible says rejoice and again I say rejoice. Be anxious and worry about nothing. She says anxiety and worry are some of the worst things you can do. Remember I told you my mama, she shows love by worry and anxiety. It's something she trained herself to do. Now I'm not saying that's why she has the disease. What I'm saying is that that learned behavior is not blessing her. 
But I will tell you what does bless. When you listen to the word of God that says in all circumstances, in all situations, give thanks. Be joyful. Wake up every morning and say, this is the day that the Lord has made. I shall rejoice and be glad in it. You can learn to be in that mind frame. You can learn it. As a matter of fact, there's so many things that the enemy is using against us to get us in another mindset. He uses our friends. We talked about that. He uses situations. He uses television and shows and programming. And he uses pornography and shame and guilt and all that's associated with that. He also uses our cell phones and social media to have false connections of closeness. And all we're doing is comparing ourselves to the craziest in society. Because think about who the influencers are. They're never responsible people. I mean, how many of you are following Mr. Graham, Franklin Graham? I do. But most of our, our society today are following people like the Kardashians. And, 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 and oh, oh, no, no. They're, they have millions and millions of followers. And we follow the craziest people because the enemy's using our cell phones to get at our kids, too. Listen, just, just the other night, I saw this report. Thomas Kirstein, he wrote a book called Disconnected. And he, and he, and he was talking with Tucker Carlson, and he, he, he made some statements, which I wrote down. The average child receives a phone at 10 years old. Not foundation kids. Not foundation kids. Maybe the other churches, maybe the, uh, the outside world, but not these kids. Did you know that experts are finding that one-third of the kids they evaluate are at risk for suicide? One-third. And the 2007 correlation, when cell phones started going everywhere and, and cell phones became a household thing, that's when you saw anxiety, depression, emotional uh, challenges, and suicide go through the roof. It's been tracking with the proliferation of cell phones. And he said one of the reasons is that when children are young, they're developing and they're trying to get their self-worth and they're trying to understand who they are and they're trying to establish that sense of security and a cell phone robs them of it because it glues them to that screen, constantly comparing themselves to something that's not real. That's what the expert is saying. I don't know if he's Christian or not. That's what he's saying. You know what else I also saw? That, that, that these... These, these 2% influencers, what, not, not the influencers on a social media, I'm talking about your corporate CEOs and, uh, and founders of these huge techno companies, these huge tech companies that, that are, they're, they're influencing America, okay? These guys send their children where? Private school, okay? And do you know None of those private schools use technology like the public schools are using them. They're not allowed to use. Why? Because they understand that's not good for the development of your child's brain. But parents have said, here you go, kid. Use the cell phone. Stay out of my hair. 
You say, oh, pastor, you're supposed to encourage me. Okay, here comes the encouragement. (laughs) See, the way we break through and the way we become the influencers and the way we get over insecurity and inferiority, inferiority is with faith. See, because faith gives us access to God. Without faith, it is impossible to access God. The book of Hebrews says without faith, it is impossible to please God. The book of James says that without faith, if you waver and go back and forth, don't expect that you receive anything from the Lord. But it's faith that gives you access to God's grace. And so watch what the Bible says. He says, according to your faith, it will be done to you. And somebody said, but pastor, how do I increase my faith? That's what we're going to be talking about here today. See, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. See, and faith comes from hearing. So what are you telling yourself all day long? Are you telling yourself, I'll never make it. I can't do it. I've wasted too much time. It's too far gone. I'll never get out of debt. I'll never make my dreams come true. This business will never succeed and this marriage will never work. My children won't do this and don't do that. And, or are you speaking something positive over your children? Are you influencing your family? You say, Pastor, it's hard for me to influence them because I need to be influenced myself. That's what we're talking about. Start with you. Get your heart right. So set your focus on the things that are of God. Learn to reprogram your mind and see yourself in a different way. But that's going to take work. Can I tell you something that I share with folks that get in debt? You didn't get in debt overnight. It's going to take more than one night or one day to get out. You didn't set these mindsets overnight. It's going to take, you may have been thinking this way since you were an adolescent. And you're going to have to get God's word in you. Maybe one of your verses that you need to write down and keep somewhere close where you can see it over and over and over is there is therefore. Now, no condemnation. Uh Uh-oh. Maybe you broke God's law and you entered into a relationship when you bonded with someone you shouldn't have and then it led to more bad decisions and when you ripped apart, it took something from you and it took your confidence and from there on, the enemy has been attacking you and you need to see that, that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation, that he is faithful and just to forgive. All we have to do is ask, but we have to ask. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. If I was struggling with guilt and shame, I'd put those all over me. I'd put them here, I'd put them there, I'd put them everywhere I look so that I can be washed and renewed up here by the word of God. He created your brain. Don't you think he's good enough to clean it up? See, because the Bible says... As you think in your heart, so you are. So what do I want you to do? Number one, I want you to pray with purpose. You need to start praying over this with purpose, meaning I know that I know that I know that I need to get my mind right because as my mind is, that's how my my life is going to be. I need to pray with resolve. Jesus says all things are possible for him that believes. 
So I need to start believing. How do I pray with resolve? I identify my insecurity. I identify my doubt. I identify my inferiority. I identify my shame. I identify my worry. I identify my anxiety. Everything I identify, then I drive my prayers deep into the heart of those doubts. I drive at them and I say, Lord, no longer will I be dominated by this. Lord, I pray a big prayer of freedom and I ask you to come and intervene. I start quoting scripture over it. The Bible says, listen, the Bible says this, that our weapons are not of this world and they are mighty through God. The Bible says that no weapon formed against you can prosper unless you take it and allow it to prosper. You can reject it, but some of us have been taking what the enemy has been peddling. So how do I do this? Watch this. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, let's, let's, let's put all this stuff together. Watch this. Our weapons are mighty through God. They are not of this world. For the purpose of what? Tearing down strongholds. That means anything that the enemy is trying to build to separate you from God. And some of these are in your mind. You can tear them down. Watch this. For the tearing down of strongholds and taking every thought, what? Captive that presents itself against what? The knowledge of Christ. You will know. You will have the knowledge of the truth and the truth sets you free. But if he puts a thought that creates a barrier to keep you from that knowledge, oh. Then you need to use your spiritual weapons to take that thought captive in prayer and say, this is not life. This is not for me. It will have no authority over my mind and my life. And when parents start doing this in our children's lives, look out. I, I, y'all going to make me preach all day. This is something that God has been speaking to me on. The other day I went to the Lord. I said, I want my birthright. My grandfather was a preacher. My father was a preacher. I should have a double, double, double portion. He said, you've allowed the enemy to steal it. Because you haven't thought that way. It's the first time you've ever thought that way. But I will restore everything the enemy has taken. See, what he's showing me is this, is that our children should not be further behind us. They should be two times ahead of us if we teach them the right thing. That's another message I'm preparing. Keep going with me. Pray with resolve. Realize that you're not alone. We'll talk about this more in a second. And change your thought pattern. This is what we've been talking about. Now watch this. Visualize your success. Visualize your success. That means you've got to see yourself the way God sees yourself. Sees you, excuse me. Replace negative thoughts. That means as soon as you get a bad thought and you know that's not of God, you take it captive. How do you take it captive? You reject it. You claim God's word over it. You said, Lord, this is not from you. Therefore, I reject it and rebuke it in the name of Jesus. And I replace it with a good thought. What kind of good thought? 
Well, you quote scripture, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Greater is he who is within me than he who is in the world. You have promised me that you'll never leave me or forsake me, that you'll never give me more than I can handle. God, that everything, you work all things for the good of those who love you. God, that you will work even a negative circumstance to my benefit. So I know that you are going to do something great because this is really bad. You see what I'm saying? Don't focus on your obstacle. Focus on your provision. I'll give you a good thought here that I got from uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki. Robert Kiyosaki says that his rich dad never allowed him to, some of y'all are smiling, you've read the book, never allowed him to say, I can't afford it. He always told him to say, how can I afford it? See, by focusing on what you can, your obstacle gets bigger. Why did Goliath keep the entire nation of Israel at bay? Because the more they looked at him, the bigger he got. Why did the 12 spies come back with a negative report except for two? Because all they could see was the obstacle, and the more they looked at the obstacle, the bigger it got. See, when you look at the provision, you can say, as David said, he came up and they said, man, he's too big to hit. And David said, no, he's too big to miss. He saw things differently. Amen? You need to see things differently. Don't focus on your obstacle. Number four, don't compare yourself. That's why the cell phone and social media can be very, very damaging. You start to compare yourself. You start to compare your body shape. You start to compare your marriage. You start to compare your job. You start to compare your life. You start to compare your leisure time. You start to comp- don't, don't lie to me. I already know. Can I give you an example? There was a couple that came to me. They're no longer at our church, and they've broken up, and it went a very, very sad way. But they had created such a facade on Facebook that many people would look at them and say, oh my gosh, and envy what they had. Little did they know that they were telling Melissa and I a very different story. I don't understand it. Don't measure yourself against others. Measure yourself against what the Lord has for you. Amen? What's for you is for you. Comparison will make you miserable. Repeat scriptural affirmations. There was a man who was struggling to get his life going in the right direction. He had lost all confidence. His business was going in the wrong direction. He didn't believe in himself anymore. And so someone gave him this advice and they said, take the scripture and find every uh, encouraging verse you can find, highlight it and begin to memorize it. Within a year, he would totally change the picture of his life. Every facet of his life began to flourish and increase. Can you imagine if we did that? Scriptural affirmation number six, get into a discipleship relationship. Get into a discipleship relationship. You need somebody else, especially as you see the day of Jesus approaching. Get in with someone that can tell you the truth, that can hold you accountable, that can encourage you, that can take you and and, and just infuse into you a positive report that can bless you, that can grab you, that can shake you a little bit. Man, even when you need it, they might need to slap you once or twice because some of us need that. 
When you get around people that always tell you what you want to hear or always complaining to you and always bringing you down, you know, misery loves company. Sometimes you need a good Christian person in your life, man or woman, that will say, you know what? You need to stop feeling sorry for yourself. Get a hold of yourself. What's wrong with you? You're a child of the living God. Someone said, oh, I don't respond good to that. Everybody responds good to a good butt whooping every once in a while. You need it. You need it. Some of my best friends in life don't tell me what I want to hear. They tell me what I need to hear. You can't be around Pastor Dr. Rob Carmen and have him not slap you a few times. That's just who he is. He's a man's man. And he's going to be like, Pastor Chris, you've seen him. Give yourself a 10% raise. What do I mean by that? I mean, get a good, healthy self-image of what God God says you are and whoever you are in life and then raise it by 10%. Number 10, remember that God is with you. Remember that God is with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And this is where I'll finish. In the book, The Culture Code, I've been reading, there's an experiment that's very, very, very interesting I read it in the first, but, but my wife said, that took too long. Just say it. Well, there's a man named Nick. Young man, good-looking man, 30 years old, and he is placed in a group of four people. What people don't know is that he's been placed there to sabotage the group, and he's been placed there by the researcher to see how a bad apple affects the group. He placed three different parts And the author says Nick is very good at being bad. This is what he does. He plays the he plays the slacker. Not only does he play the slacker, he plays the defiant guy. And not only does he play the defiant guy, but he also uh, he he plays the downer. He's just always down. Doesn't and he and he said something the, the. the, the research showed something very, very interesting. Every time Nick was placed in the group, it wasn't long before the entire group started acting and being just like him. If he was being the slacker, he would come in and everyone would have high energy. And uh, they were tasked with coming up with a marketing plan for a young startup. That was the task. And there was 40 groups of four. And he would go in and play these different roles. And he would go in, he would lay back, have nothing to say. Before long, he had his head on his desk. Next thing you know, everyone was doing the same. When he was a slacker, he wasn't just putting his head on his desk, this and that. He wanted to get the project done quick. So they would get it done 40%, in the, 40% quicker than any other group. And they would do a very poor job. Not only that, he was influencing every one of these groups except for one. In this one group, he just couldn't have an effect. His his evil powers weren't working. And the researchers thought, why? And they realized there's one guy in the group. He's the leader. He hasn't been named the leader, but he's stepping up and he's taking lead. And his name is Jonathan. And he counteracts everything Nick throws at him. When, when Jonathan leads the group, he leans forward. He comes in with excitement. He comes in with energy. His, his countenance and what he brings is not determined by 
by Nick. He brings his own confidence from somewhere else. And he'll draw people out by the way he asks questions and the way he makes them believe and gets them feeling connected and belonging. And before long, Nick says, I'm trying to be bad, but Jonathan's just making me good. And he's telling his research buddies, like, I'm trying to bring the group in my direction, but this guy's just overpowering me. You get the impression that's what we're supposed to be, Christians? That's what we're supposed to be. But it starts first with you. See, if you haven't gotten control up here, then when you go out there, it's gonna overpower you. And the way you get control in here is you let your father tell you who you are. And when you let your father tell you who you are, then you can tell your children who they are. And we can start influencing this thing in the right direction. Maybe you're here today and you need some encouragement. With every head bowed and every eye closed, this is what I'm going to ask. You need some prayer because you said, Pastor, this message was for me. I'm struggling in some areas and I realize now I got to get my mindset right. I got to get my family headed in the right direction. And I need your prayer. I need the power of the Holy Spirit. Raise your hand right now. I want to pray for you. Wow. Father, you see every hand raised and you see every heart that's open. Lord, like only you can, increase our faith. Let us see from your vantage point, Lord, and fill our hearts with your love and drive out that insecurity and inferiority and that fear. And Lord, remind us by the power of your Holy Spirit Remind us by the power of your Holy Spirit to set our minds on the things above. Teach us, Lord, even as you taught Paul. And let us walk in this power that you've given us. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Foundation, I love you. Have a great week. Come on, let's stand and sing one more time. Sing I call.